Well, good morning. And, uh, what a privilege it is to be able to bring God's word to you today. And uh, they say, I guess, bicycle riding, you never forget how to do it, but it's been a while. So pray for me and bear with me as we look into God's word today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work by the power of your Holy Spirit, first of all, through me, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart may be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray that every heart here will be open and receptive to hearing your truth, that it would be proclaimed accurately and that it would take root in each of our hearts so that as we leave here today, we will be advancing and committed to advancing in Christ-like living. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Do you make New Year's resolutions? Hmm, good question. About 40 to 50% of people do make New Year's resolutions. And let me give you some of the most popular and it won't shock you. Weight loss seems to be right up there at the top. <laughs> Improving one's finances. Improving one's health. Or getting a job. Some of those that are at the top of the list on a regular basis. So I ask you the question. Are New Year's resolutions necessary? Or is there a better way, I might ask, to promote positive change in one's life? Well, I will say this. It is certainly helpful for us to establish goals in life. As they say, if you aim at nothing, you will be sure to hit it 100% of the time. So you have to have a name. You have to have a goal. And the great apostle Paul was a goal setter. He expressed a desire that was foremost in his heart. And he desired, like everything, to achieve that goal. So you could say he made a resolution of sorts. But if Paul was making New Year's resolutions, guess what? He would have made the same resolution every single year. But more so than that, he made the same resolution every day as well as every moment. And that was what? To continue to advance toward the goal, to continue advancing toward the goal of Christ-like living. What a wonderful goal to have. It should be your goal, and that should be my goal every day. As we look today at Paul's daily resolution, I'm hoping and desiring in my heart 
that it would be helpful to you. And I will say this, as helpful to you as it has been to me spiritually in preparing this today. Especially as we end the year and close the books, close the calendar, and move forward into 2024. So as we look at Philippians 3, 12 through 14, we find actions necessary for running to win. And that's what Paul said he wanted to do. He wanted to run to win the prize. And we're going to sort that out a little bit more. But we'll look at these actions which are necessary for running to win. And the first was simply this, acknowledging that you have not yet reached the goal. If you reach the goal, you quit running, right? You rest a little bit. But he had not reached the goal, and we need to acknowledge that we have not yet reached the goal. Verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 3, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Paul is, had done a thorough examination, and we'll look at it. In verses 7 through 11 of that chapter, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, catch this, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith and trust in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. This is what Paul says as he's doing a self-examination and he concludes in verses 12 through 14 that he has not arrived yet. And what is he saying here? Verse 10, he has not achieved full, complete knowledge. Don't let that stop you. It's not intellectual knowledge. Knowledge there is experiential knowledge, experiencing Christ more intimately. He says, I haven't reached that point of perfection yet. Therefore, he's admitting the Apostle Paul himself, that he still has room for spiritual growth and progress. If you don't think you have room for spiritual growth and progress, just tune me out. And please be waiting on me in the foyer. I want to meet with you. Because I've never been around anyone yet. I talked to Jesus and he's made it. But no one short of him has made it yet. 
It is true of all believers that we have failed to achieve complete knowledge and experience of Christ perfectly in our lives. And having said that, therefore, we should not, cannot, better not become spiritually content to be where we are. If you're spiritually content to be where you are today, then you are not going anywhere. And you're sadly mistaken if you're sitting still. Someone has said that room for improvement is the largest room in the world. Let that sink in. Spiritually speaking, there's no truer saying you could ever hear. Think about where you are in your spiritual life right now. Think about where you are in comparison to where you were when you first started in your walk with Christ. Think about where you are as opposed to where you were on December 31st of 2022. Have you advanced in Christ-like living? Are you experiencing Christ more and more in your daily life than you were a year ago, a month ago, and back to, for me, 52 years ago? And I will tell you with a resounding, yes, because you should have seen me then. If you think I'm not very much now, you should have seen me then. Don't compare, by the way, yourself with your spouse, your children, the guy that lives next door to you. Compare yourself with Christ-likeness. Are you growing in Christ-likeness? Not are you growing more than the person you work with. We tend to do that sometimes. Well, I may not be doing very well, but I'm doing better than him. Well, he's a pagan, so I hope you're doing better than he is. Have you reached the point to where nothing satisfies you unless you know it satisfies God? That's a good point to be. Very good place to be. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says that he labors. He labors for what? Until Christ is formed in his spiritual children. He labors hard, diligently, for his spiritual children to have Christ-like living, to be more like Jesus. So if we acknowledge that we've not yet reached the goal, then we have what is necessary, a divine, divine dissatisfaction. That's a healthy thing. I have a divine, divine dissatisfaction of where I am in my spiritual life. And that, my friends, is essential for making spiritual progress. Acknowledging that you've not reached the goal, but also verse 13, 
Paul says to reach Christ-likeness, to run to win the goal of being Christ-like in his presence includes refusing to allow the past to hinder your progress. Verse 13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And let me just tell you real quick, that's not the one thing. That's not the one thing, but he's getting to the one thing, but you can't get to the one thing until you forget the past and leave the past behind. You know, Satan is a master at trying to bind us to the past. And he doesn't need a lot of, he doesn't need to do a lot for some people. I know people that are bound up and entangled in their past and they can't advance forward. I have a friend, went to high school, well, elementary school with, high school with, was roommates with him in college. And we both came to put our trust in Jesus Christ back in 19, August of 71. Went off to college. We weren't living for Jesus in high school, so we both had some struggles. But unfortunately, he has struggled and he's 70 years old. And he has not yet freed himself from the past because he hit a point in his spiritual journey where he just got so entangled in his past and can't accept the forgiveness of God. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. You can't run a good race. It's been proven by looking back. Yeah, think about it. Olympic medals have been lost. And that's a pretty big deal for people who give their entire life to training for a simple gold medal. Sounds good, but it's nothing in light of eternity. But people give their whole life toward the pursuit of that. And it has happened in the Olympics that a sprinter, one in particular, was looking behind him. As he looked behind him, he lost the lead. And that has been a lesson learned for a lot of sprinters for years after that. Don't look behind. Move forward toward the prize. What is Paul referring to when he says that I'm not going to allow the past to hinder my progress? He's referring to not allowing past sins. I would say murder is a pretty big sin. I don't know about you. That's right up there with the biggest failures, grief, regrets. We're not to allow any of that to hinder us from progressing spiritually. I don't care what you've done. Your past does not define you. Your relationship with Jesus, the one who loves you enough that he gave his life for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He allows you to move forward with his forgiveness. And it doesn't only include failures here. It also includes past successes 
and achievements. Think about Paul for a second. If you've got your Bible open, look at chapter 3, verse 4. I myself have confidence to put uh, put my confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. What's he saying? He goes on to say, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He thought he was doing a noble thing at that point. As to the as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. What is Paul saying? He said, I did achieve to the status that very few people could achieve. I had everything in the world to brag about. If anyone had anything to brag about, it was me. Of course, he did say all that is just like garbage. And due to surpassing joy of knowing his Savior. He counted it all as loss in comparison to knowing Christ intimately. The word forgetting the past, by the way, is in the present tense. You know what that means? That doesn't mean just forgetting it one time and it's gone. That would be easy, wouldn't it? Now, it's interesting, I'm sorry to interject this, but it's very interesting as you get older, and I am retired, by the way. I don't know, 70's not old to some of you, I get it. But having said that, I can't remember what I have for breakfast sometimes after, after lunch, right? You know, my forgetter is better than my memory, my rememberer. But it's the present tense, it's continually forgetting the past. And bottom line is, every time that stuff comes up, your failures, your insecurities, everything you've done that you're ashamed of, and I've got a list as long as you, I guarantee you. And I can remember those things still. I can remember them. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time being able to totally forget the past. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying because Paul was a man. Like you and me, he was human. And he knew that we could not continually wipe it out of our memory all the time. You can't obliterate it from your memory. But here's what you can do. You can make a conscious refusal to allow your past to so absorb your attention in a way that will hinder your progress. And that's exactly what I believe Paul is teaching. Don't be absorbed with the past in a way that it hinders you from winning the prize as you run toward perfect perfection. By the way, real quick, Ken, in case that makes you struggle real quick when I mention that, You're not going to get it until you're in the presence of Jesus. But that doesn't mean you should stop for one second pursuing it. That's the goal. That's what he has called us to. It includes, as I said, past sins and failures because they do not define you when he forgives. Hebrews 8.12 is a beautiful Verse, a delightful, wonderful verse that he chooses to remember our sins no longer. 
Wow, there is a song, and I have no idea what the name of it is, but I can remember hearing it, not lately, but for a number of years it was on the radio. And the singer was talking about forgiveness, basically, and his line was something like this, what sin, with a big question mark, because it has been drowned in the sea of forgiveness. When God forgives it, He no longer holds it against you and me. So what I'm saying today and what Paul is saying to you today and what God is saying to you through the one he inspired to write this, don't allow it to hinder you. God doesn't hold it against you. Quit holding it against yourself because you're being disobedient to your father who loves you with an everlasting love. Don't allow past achievements, by the way, to hinder you. Wow. It's easy when you're a retired pastor to think about all the good things you did. (laughs) And people say things to you. It's real tempting to think that, yeah, 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 that was good. That was good. But it's not about what you've done in the past. It's about where you are today. In other words, don't rest on your laurels. If someone's patted you on the back for your great success, don't believe them. It's just like athletes. They say, don't believe your press clippings. Move forward because the past is the past. Don't rest on your laurels by living according to past success, but move forward today. But by the way, you're not going to forget everything in your life. And Paul is not saying forget everything in your life because we're told in Scripture to remember his faithfulness to us. And there's a psalm, forget none of his benefits. It doesn't say just, it says remember every single one of them. Now, it's going to be hard to do that, but it's much easier, I think, to remember the past failures because there's an enemy who loves tempting us with those past and bringing up the past. Just tell him he's a liar to get out of here. Because he is. But your father says, you're forgiven. But remember his faithfulness to forgive, to cleanse. As you forget what hinders and move forward. But how... Do we move forward? Hebrews 12, we heard that earlier, uh, verse 1 and 2. But verse 1 of Hebrews 12, we learn how that we can move forward and not be entangled in the past. When Paul says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, not some, but every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us. And I believe that in... When he says so easily, I think every one of us have what they call a besetting sin. The one one thing, and you say, well, mine's this long. Okay, well, I'll pray for you. You pray for me because mine's pretty long too. But there's always something that's the weakest point in our walk with Christ. And there's something that we're most likely to fall into when tempted to do it. 
And I think you probably know what that is in your life. You know what you struggle with the most. Not just sin, but anything you struggle with that blatantly that's not sin, but giving too much attention to it is sin because you make it an idol. You know what it is in your life and I know what it is in my life. But remember that God, by His grace, His divine, undeserved enablement, will allow you the power and me the power to overcome past failures as well as to overcome past achievements so that they will no longer hinder my progress in becoming more like Jesus. Someone put it this way, the load of tomorrow added to that of yesterday and carried today makes the greatest falter. So what I say to you, lose the load of guilt. Whatever it is that hinders you, lose it every day. Not just a one-time thing, but continue to lose that load and yoke yourself to Jesus, Matthew 11, who says to take on his yoke. And his burden is light. Let him carry it for you because he forgives you. And he will carry every burden, he says, so that you and I may find rest for our souls. There's no rest when you are wandering around in the guilt of your sin or focused on those things that hinder you and you're entangled in the past. Give it to him and find rest and peace for your soul. John MacArthur says it this way. Paul made a definitive break with everything in his past, both good and bad. He made a break with his achievements and his virtuous, virtuous deeds, his great success in ministry, his sins, his missed opportunities, and all the disasters in his life must be forgotten as well as in your life and my life, forgotten and left behind. He goes on to say, they do not control the present or the future. God does. Believers cannot live on past victories, nor should they be debilitated by the guilt of their past sins. They must break with the past if they're going to pursue the spiritual prize. He says the clearest vision belongs to those who forget the past. How is your vision? Is it blurred with the guilt of your past? Is it got a hold on you so that you can't advance forward because of the past? Let it go. And let it go every day. And only as you let it go, the writer of Hebrews says, will you be able to run with endurance to the prize of being like Jesus. Someone was asked the question, if they would rather have their sight or their memory. And their resolute, firm answer was my sight. 
because I would rather see where I am going than to remember where I've been. After dealing with the past and leaving it behind, there's more to running to win the prize, and that is we must commit ourselves. Verses 12 through 14 all tell us in Philippians 3, we must commit ourselves resolutely to pursuing the goal with a single-minded focus. Pursuing the goal of being like Jesus with a single-minded focus. Paul says in verse 13, Philippians 3.13, I do not regard myself as laving, having laid hold of it yet, but the one thing I do, this one thing I do. Paul makes it clear that leaving the past behind is essential to doing that one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. He is talking about maintaining a single-minded purpose and focus on pleasing God by continually pursuing Christ's likeness daily in your life. In verses 12 through 14, Paul makes it clear that he was pressing on and reaching forward. He says in verse 14, I press on the end of verse 13, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say these many things I dabble in. He says, this one thing I do. That is written literally, this one thing. He he is not, he has a single-minded focus. His focus is not here and there and everywhere or changing. I know people that start something and before they can get it started good, they're on to the next thing and they can't settle on one thing. And that's what... Paul is talking about having a single-minded focus so you're not distracted from doing the keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's very difficult in life because life gets busy. There's an example that we could look at in Luke 10, 41 to 42. You may be familiar with the story where Jesus is coming to Mary and Martha's house, and they're going to entertain Jesus. Not a big, uh, overwhelming task <laughs> to imitate God, to, to entertain God in your home. Well, they made a distinctly different approach to that. They took a different approach. And Martha was running around, busy as a beaver, all stressed out, like some of you were and a lot of people were the last week or so. Because Christmas is coming. I got to make sure I've got the right gifts. And literally, some of us probably were guilty of being so busy with the temporal pursuits of Christmas 
that we did not take time to celebrate the true meaning. And when we got over, we were like, whew, finally that's over. Now I can focus. No, 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 no. You should focus from the beginning to the end on the one whom we celebrate, the Redeemer, God who became man so that he could die for you and me. So Martha was all stressed out. And this is what Jesus said to her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Worshiping and focusing on Jesus. That's what she chose to do. After all, God in the flesh was in her home. Is your one thing focusing on Jesus and pursuing spiritual perfection? Is that your one thing? Or are you dabbling in a lot of things that distract you, and I have to add this, and your family? And buck it up, by the way, men. If you're the man of your home and you have the responsibility, Ephesians tells you that you have, be the man of your home. Be the spiritual leader. And wife, if he doesn't, go ahead. God gives you permission to step up and do it. To set boundaries for you and your family to keep the main things the main thing. And not lose your focus on everyone in your household becoming transformed to the likeness of Christ daily. That's the important thing. All those other six million things that we do in life are secondary. Does your personal schedule and your family schedule of activities Reflect the fact that you have a single-minded purpose on the goal of becoming like Christ and valuing Christ more than you value the temporal activities. They're, they're, we do them. I'm not saying don't get involved in any temporal activities. Please never, 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 ever let the temporal activities that you and your family pursue be a hindrance to you moving forward and running to the prize of becoming more like Jesus. That'll be the best no you've ever said in your life. If you say no to those activities, you won't regret it, I'm telling you. I am so glad that I can stand here today and say that we, that is Dee and I, were certainly not perfect parents but that's one thing we tried to maintain in our home. And our boys could have been involved in every activity. Our daughter didn't get involved in many athletic, but if it had a ball in the name, my boys loved it. Still do. And they were only allowed to do certain number of things at a time. You know why? Because their place was in the house of God on Sundays instead of travel baseball, which they were recruited for every year of their lives. We couldn't really afford it either, but I wasn't going to have my boys going playing ball without daddy there to support them. I'm here preaching the word and my boys are out 
spending the Lord's day in a temporal activity that was becoming before worship. You say, that's legalistic. No, that's biblical. And it has grieved my heart. I'm just going to say, I pastored here 35 years, okay? And it continues to grieve my heart to see people that I know and here and other places who can't, who make sporting activities or dance or whatever else a higher priority. And I'm not saying they can't do those things, but it needs to be secondary is all I'm saying. If it becomes the idol, kick it, stomp it, light it on fire, whatever needs to be done because it needs to be out of the way of hindering the purpose God has called you to, to be more like Jesus and to see that your family is on a path to do so. Now, you can't make your kids do it, by the way. I am glad, though, that mine bounced around. All three adult children and their spouses are making Jesus first in their lives. And they're all involved. Two are elders in their church. I love it. And it wasn't what we did. It was the grace of God. That's all I got to say. He grabbed hold of their hearts and maintained them through some struggles where they're pursuing eternal things now. Not to perfection, by the way. If they were perfect, I would have invited them to come in and preach this. So I need to ask you this question. Do you need to simplify? Real quick, last week it was, wasn't it? Rory was praying for Clearwater Community Church and Pastor Berger out there and said he was preaching through the sermon, Simply Jesus. And I almost came out of my seat. I was sitting right here. I was wanting to, in the middle of his prayer, I was wanting to jump up and say, hallelujah, brother. More power to that, brother. Because we need to simplify, not just Christmas. I said that now. Hold me to it. We need to simplify, not just Christmas. We need to simplify every day and make sure that our activities are pursuing, helping us pursue and not hindering us from pursuing the goal of Christ's likeness. Paul keeps it simple and clear. In verse 12, he says, he presses on, he says, so that he can lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Christ. Pressing on there means to pursue, to follow, to press hard after with all the energy and the earnestness and diligence that you can muster up in order to obtain the prize. In verses 13 and 14, he says he reaches forward as he presses on toward the goal of Christ's likeness. And if you're not familiar, what he's talking about there is like the runner running toward the finish line in a sprint or a race of any kind. And he's giving every ounce of energy he has, stressing and straining every fiber of his being. It's amazing to see that. You know, one guy wins by an eyelash. Because he exerted just a tad more energy at the finish line. That's the way Paul says we need to run. And here's how we do it sometimes. I'm sorry. I'm guilty of that. You're guilty of it. He says, energy going toward the goal. You're only here for a little while. Run it right. It's only one race you have, so run it the proper way. The 
the goal is spiritual perfection in the end. That's what lies ahead, Paul says. He runs to what lies ahead. I ask you this question. Please answer it within your heart. What controls your life? Where is your gaze and what controls your life? Is your gaze on the one who's transforming you to be like him? Or is it on the temporal pursuits of life? How do we run? We run... Hebrews 12, 2 says, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, we are to keep a single-minded focus on him who is the goal. And he's not only the goal, but he's the one who enables us to run well until we reach the finish line. Verse 14, press on toward the goal for the prize, he says, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul kept an eternal perspective daily. He reminds us in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, that we are to keep seeking things above. We are to keep setting our mind on things above and not the things of earth. I tell someone, when you don't preach very often and you get such wonderful Powerful preaching of the Word of God at Northwood. I have to depend upon props. That's all i got to say. <laughs> this is the rope illustration, but it, I didn't have a rope, so this is an extension cord illustration. Just want to tell you that this represents yours and my life, our whole life timeline. And by the way, this is what, Represents This blue represents your life and my life on earth. And look at here. By the way, that's an endless cord. You can't see the end. That's why. Because it represents eternity. Millions, as they say about the earth, or billions and billions of years ago. What are they thinking? (laughs) Only God knows about those numbers. And when? But eternity just goes on and on forever. But the interesting part is you and I are guilty of focusing way, way too much. And people every day are guilty of focusing way, way too much on this little blip in our whole life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he... God has set eternity in our hearts. We're eternal beings. And there's a question, a good question, whether or not we're going to be spending eternity in the presence of God or in eternal damnation forever and ever. But we go through this earth and we spend so blooming much of our time focused on that which is temporal. And guess what? It's just going boop. It's like a blip. I ask you this question. Where are you putting your focus? On jobs, pleasure, 
your home, your money, the temporal activities you pursue in your family? Or is your focus more often on that which is endless, that which is eternal, that which is of greater, 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 greater value? Where do you focus and live the most? For the temporal or the eternal? Paul was running with an eternal focus and making daily decisions with eternity and eternity's values in his view. How about you? Once, this is something I say to people because a friend of mine who was an elder here then became a free church pastor later as he left here. He retired from that. Now he's planted another church in a retirement community, by the way, ladies. I have three friends here from Bible study. But yeah, and that's what he's doing. He started a church in a retirement community. That's a dear brother of mine, one of my closest friends on this planet. He told me something years ago that has stuck with me. He said, Neil, when you make a decision in life, Just ask yourself, before you make that decision, what difference will it make 400 years from now? And I took it for what he meant it. What difference will it make in eternity? That is having an eternal view and not a temporal focusing on the blue, but focusing on the yellow. Why did Paul pursue perfection? Because he says of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That refers to redemption. God sending Jesus to pay the price for our sins so that we could be bought by his precious blood and forgiven of our sin. And then it refers to redemption toward his eternal, saved for his eternal purposes. Not saved for my purposes, but his purposes. And that is pro- progressing continually toward that final and complete salvation in our eternal state when we will be perfect and just like Jesus. Great time to look forward to. If you have responded to his call, You are in the race. If you have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as the one who died as a substitute for your sin to satisfy the wrath of God against sin so that you could repent, turn away from your sin and place your trust in the sacrifice of Christ, experience his forgiveness and become a child of God. Do so today. And then run the race by pursuing eternity and Christ-like living. If you don't know how, talk to me. Talk to Mitch. We'll be happy to help you with that. All who have responded to his call are called upon in Scripture to pursue holiness. First Peter 1, 16 and 7, we are to be holy as he is holy in all, not some, but all of our behavior. So if you're progressing and pursuing holiness and progressing in holiness, then you're on the right track. If not, 
pursue holiness in your life and all your living. Paul shows us another way that we can run. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race still all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He says, run to win. That's how we get to the goal. Pursue Christ-likeness by running to win the prize, exercising self-control. And what self-control is real quick? It's self under his control. Yielding to the Holy Spirit of God to control my thoughts, my attitudes, and my actions. And that will keep me focused on the prize, folks. If you're yielding your thoughts, attitudes, and actions to him and his control, he will keep you on the goal and not on the distractions. Runners do it for a perishable wreath. Paul does it for an imperishable prize of finishing his life well. And as he says, so that I will receive the crown of righteousness, the crown which is righteousness in the presence of God, knowing that I have run the race toward him in a way that pleased him. Discipline running is also addressed in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, where Paul talks about uh, being disciplined. He says you're to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Because he says bodily discipline, he doesn't say it's bad. It's not of as great a value. But he goes on to say discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, which has benefit today in this life and for eternity? Are you disciplined to run the race? Do you have a plan for spiritual fitness? Reading the word and prayer are essential. Worship personally is essential. Worship and fellowship with one another and encouraging one another all the more as we see Christ drawing near is essential to that plan, folks. May it be in your plan because it is essential. Small groups are, I believe, essential where you can spur one another on and live life together and be accountable in relationship with others. Community Bible reading, I love it. I've been a part of it for however long we've been doing it, and it's beneficial because it keeps me sharing with my brothers and holding one another accountable to what? To keep running toward the prize. Are you moving the needle? Thank you, Mitch, for that. That helped me out. Are you moving toward the needle? You're not perfect. You wouldn't be here if you were perfect. Are you moving toward, are you moving that needle toward Christ-like perfection? Daily, monthly, yearly, every decade? Someone has said that a Christ-like life is not a moment to achieve, but it's a goal to pursue. Have you been progressing in Christ-like living? 
I hope you will keep your focus on Jesus and eternity as you run the race with endurance and discipline, progressing regularly in holiness and Christ-likeness in the year 2024. And until you hear these precious, sweet words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. There's some reflection questions that will be on the screen for you. I encourage you to reflect upon so you can take action that hopefully will help you run the race well in pursuing Christ. What issues from your past are hindering your spiritual progress that you need to deal with? And I don't mean next year at this time. Now, what do you need to deal with? What adjustments are needed to your schedule? that will help you and your family keep an eternal focus and progress spiritually toward Christ-likeness? What plans do you have in place or need to develop in order to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness? Reflect upon those for a moment and commit them to prayer and action. Father, I thank you for the example you provided for us in the Apostle Paul and for using him, Lord, to communicate your word of truth to us so that we could learn from it and be better prepared to run the race toward Christ-like perfection that you've called us to, advancing regularly, making progress, toward Christ-likeness daily, all so that you will be honored and glorified in and through our lives. And we thank you and commit ourselves to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.